Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. A, uh, I think a step closer to some real football. That happened this week for the Indianapolis Colts. I'm Kevin Bowen. We're back. Another edition of Kevin's Corner. And as we record this one on Wednesday afternoon, April 12th, just got back from the Colts complex. Uh, second time this week, local pro day on Monday, and today their first media availability of the nine-week off-season program. So, again, voluntary. Uh, attendance pretty high this time of year, which is to be expected, I think, from 4-12-1 and and a new head coach. Uh, but heard from Shane Steichen, Michael Pittman, DeForest Buckner, Zaire Franklin. So we'll share some thoughts on that. Um, today's pod, though, you know, I don't think we've really committed a full pod to looking at, and, and let's just call it a group of five. I, I feel like Hendon Hooker's name gets brought up enough that he deserves uh, to be included with the other four quarterbacks, uh, just more from attention than I think maybe likelihood he gets taken at four or something like that. So we'll uh, we'll chat about all of them today. We'll replay a Deontay Lee interview. Deontay Lee, for those unfamiliar, uh, NFL draft analyst for The Athletic. He joined our morning show earlier this week. So like we've done here the past couple of shows, we'll throw that in uh, right before Twitter questions. Eddie Garrison, how are you, man? I'm doing well. I, I would just wish the draft is already here and it's over <laughs> with because... Man, it's getting hard to talk about, not on just the podcast, but on the airways daily for us on uh, 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan to, you know, kind of say something different every day, but we all know the inevitable. They're going to draft a quarterback, but it's always fun thinking of the different scenarios that could possibly happen. Yeah, and you know, the thing about it, Eddie, is as redundant and as like, I am with you, let's just get the draft here, and I'm watching like the WNBA, and I'm like, wait, didn't the college season just end, and now they're already doing their draft? I'm like, in a month of their regular season start so yeah, it's like you get no time off. off um part of me is like you just still never know once you get to draft night you know you don't tr- is houston really going to take a quarterback at two or is there some sort of you know will anderson pass on cj stroud what would that do to arizona at three how would teams react to that how would the colts react to that that's what makes the nfl draft um such a wild wild show um so let's get into it okay um, I guess before we dive fully into the quarterbacks, I'll share a couple quick uh, tidbits from what I learned up there at West 56 earlier today. Uh, again, the Colts continue to downplay Lamar Jackson. Uh, I, I, I do, I, that's not even on my radar anymore. Um, Shane Steichen just had a uh, direct and concise comment, which is par for the course with him. There's no wasted air with Shane Steichen. He's going to be very direct and basically said, you know, we are focused on the draft and guys in their own building at the quarterback uh, spot. DeForest Buckner was very adamant that there were no trade talks involving him this year. He said that whether you base that off of the Colt side of things or him in requesting a trade. I did find it interesting, you know, he mentioned that you, know, you look at Stephon Gilmore in year 11, Buckner in year 8, you know, for Gilmore it might be a little bit different than it would be for a Buckner um, at that point in his career and just how you view things. You know, could Buckner at one point get to the level where he's like, hey, man, I'm craving, you know, getting back there and experiencing that. And maybe you do request some sort of trade at that point. Um, but again, what what was not there, said he had a laugh when he woke up on the West Coast and he had a couple of, you know, buddies from other teams be like, hey, man, is this true? We would love to have you. Um on our team, it was a torn UCL for Stephon Gilmore, or uh, excuse me, for DeForest Buckner. Dang! This year, so the old Tommy John ligament said did not need surgery. Uh, if he was a thrower of some sort of ball, he would need it, but does not need it. Uh, Michael Pittman, you know, acted like it's not a major goal of his to get a contract extension this offseason. I'll be very curious to see if that actually happens. Um, but you know, this is a guy that. You know, I think if you look at his career so far, I could make the case that he deserves one. You know, typical Chris Ballard. You know, guys kind of get one after year three of their rookie deal, but at that position and how those contracts have looked lately, it's probably a bit complicated. And you're weighing like, is Pittman good? Really good? 
Has he played with bad quarterbacks? Like, how do you just juggle all of that? You know, it's complicated. I was going to ask you, is his desire to wait more so than the Colts on a contract extension because, A, he's not really had a franchise-level quarterback other than Phillip Rivers, and even still, he was still getting acclimated sure, to the NFL. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I think it's a great point, Eddie. And I'll be really, again, really interested to see how that plays out. Lastly, on the Shaquille Leonard front, you know, again, sounds like you know certainly going to take their time with that. Zaire Franklin did mention that him and Leonard worked out a bit down in Tampa, some early mornings there, five thirty, six a.m. Um, Anything on Jonathan Taylor on no, the ankle? I, Again, I, I felt like Leonard was more the pressing injury one than Taylor. I don't envision that we get a lot of injury updates in April. I mean, you know, basically all that um, Shane said was he's progressing well. There's no timetable. So uh, mini camp at the end of this month, because you have a uh, first-year head coach, you're allowed to do that. Uh, so we'll see, you know, if, if that evolves at all. Um Again, I I don't think you need to have Taylor on the field in the spring, but coming off the ankle surgery, that'll be something to keep an eye on. So if you want a little bit more on that front, got a notebook up on 1075thefan.com. Check that out. Always love the notebook. And way to promote it this time. You're I, I'm wearing off on you. I was going to say, I feel like I've grown a little bit in that area. Thank you to you. Eddie yeah, Harris. I know. You, you, you usually are the one that... Uh, that does that for me. I uh, can't forget, we've already plugged the website. Now i got to plug the YouTube. Make sure you like, <laughs> rate, and subscribe, and all that good jazz. Make sure you leave a comment if necessary. We've The comment section has been kind of busy here uh, last couple of podcasts. But let's transition now, Kev. Uh, we've kind of been teasing it over the last three to four weeks um, in terms of diving into these top five quarterbacks. Uh, pros and cons, we'll start alphabetically. You have this on the website at 1075thefan.com, and you start with Hendon Hooker uh, of Tennessee. Yeah, and again, alphabetical order here. We'll go pros and cons. You know, on Hooker, I Eddie, he arguably has the best passing and running numbers of any quarterback in this draft. Uh, and certainly any of these five, I guess, would probably be the better way to put it. I mean, his production, again, his dual threat production. C.J. Stroud, you could point to a lot of passing numbers. But in terms of, or even Bryce Young, but in terms of dual threat production, I would say that is a huge pro. I think another pro, and two guys qualify for this on, on on this list, I would argue Hooker qualifies even more than Will Levis. Eddie, it's not often you have quarterbacks that transfer up into the SEC and you know have good success there, potentially great success. And you know, Hendon Hooker definitely did that, going from Virginia Tech to Tennessee. So those are certainly the pros with him. Um, what do you not like? In some order, and I think it's this order, I would list the system he played in, his age, and then the injury. I, I almost think the torn ACL people are making a little bit too much out of it. Like, mm-hmm. are we kind of at the day and age where, unless it's a running back or maybe a skill guy that's in the open field, I, I kind of think a torn ACL. I mean, it's not great, don't get me wrong, but it's not a death sentence by any mean. Uh, by any means, I have more of a question on system. Um, than age as well. I mean, I know his age. What is he, 25, I believe? Mm-hmm. You know, that's not, again, ideal. But basically, when you talk about this system, you know, hash marks are different in college than they are in, in the NFL. So you are able to line guys up, you know, much wider in the college game than you are in the NFL game. And that has created Tennessee's offense, which they've had great success with, to where Hooker does not have to make a lot of NFL-type reads. And it's a lot of kind of half reading of a field. And so I don't think there's a lot of question about Hooker necessarily intellectually, mm-hmm. but you just don't see him doing it on Sundays. Whereas, again, a guy like Levis, and not to get too much into the comparison, Levis, you can see some NFL system stuff. You can see the NFL type throws. You can see kind of NFL type reads. And with Hooker, you just don't have enough of that on film. Um, so those would be the pros and cons I would lay out for Hendon Hooker. Yeah, he's certainly the most intriguing one when you think outside of Anthony Richardson just because the stats last year. I mean, Eddie, um, he's a Heisman Trophy winner if he doesn't tear the ACL. I totally agree with you. You know. And he has to prove it of performing in big games last year with Tennessee. I mean, look what he did against Alabama. And, you know, one of these guys eventually is going to come from a gimmicky college offense that can't translate to the NFL just because of the rules. And you're just going to be like, Damn it, you know, like how do we not see that? You know, why are you overthinking that? 
but I, I just think there's a little bit too much risk for Hooker as high as you know where the Colts are right now. And I like how you threw in the uh, the efficiency in terms of running the football. I think that's an aspect that people forgot about with Hendon Hooker. They think about him in the pocket and lighting it up down the field with Jalen Hyatt and Cedric Tillman. They forget that he was actually quite mobile yes. and a big part of their running game. Right. Uh, Again, I think he's best dual threat guy when you consider consistency across both of those areas. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Now I think Colts fans feel either the strongest in terms of they want this guy or God forbid, get away, get this guy away from me like he's the Black Plague. He's next up on our pros and cons list. That is Will Levis. Uh, Eddie, I'll be totally honest with you. I, I see more Black Plague discussion than the other way with Levis, but I, I would agree um, in that I think the most negativity revolves around Levis uh, of any of these five, frankly. Um, okay, what do you like? I would say you could make the argument, Eddie, when you talk his size, like his physique, mm-hmm. his arm, and again, the NFL background of his college experience, that's probably the best combination of anybody on this list. Now, Not, size, he's 6'4", 225, just want to throw that out there. Yeah, um, and obviously the arm, well-documented, and, and again, with um, you know, Liam Cohen and Rich Sangrello, we're talking about two different NFL assistants that have been his coordinators each of the last two years. And so he was in, you know, Sunday type offenses, probably more so than any of these five. Um, Even more so than Bryce Young? With. um, Yeah, you know, you could probably throw Bryce. I mean, obviously the Bill O'Brien. Thank you. Experience there. Um, That would probably be the only other one that you could throw up there. You know, by all accounts, this is a guy that checks the toughness box. And I know that's a hard trait to necessarily talk a lot about because it's an intangible. You don't you don't get tested for it at the NFL Combine. Um, again, I think you have to acknowledge there is an adversity in transferring and doing that to the level of the SEC. Now, I think Penn State and Virginia Tech are two different situations where, you know, Hooker came from. I would say Hooker had more of a trade up in competition. Levis, you know, didn't really have that necessarily. Obviously, you got beaten out by Sean Clifford in Happy Valley. Um, I mean, Kentucky people rave about him as a teammate and as a behind-the-scenes type of guy, and you know, played through some injuries this past season. Um, and I think all of those are areas you need to mention. I think it's worth pointing out, Eddie. I don't think we have massive character questions about any of these five you know i want to say i think the one guy that you would is probably will i think that's the only guy that you could possibly question mark because of the rumblings that are coming out of him bombing these interviews and some of the way and how he comes across sometimes i think he's the only guy though that we've heard anything negative in that regard about yeah and again just the validity of some of that i'm not 100 percent sold on I, i i still think you know well before he became a major draft prospect people Kentucky his teammates at Kentucky you know have mm-hmm. have been very public in their admiration for him that's difficult for a tra- transfer to achieve in my opinion um now what do you not like the turnover numbers and the sack numbers are pretty alarming and the avoidance of those areas you don't like again how much of that is injury related how much of that is changing systems and coordinators you certainly want to factor that in. I think at some point you want to see a quarterback be able to kind of raise a sinking ship. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if we saw enough of that this past season from him. You know, that, that, that ship, you know, it had a lot of leaky parts around it. And I don't think he did enough necessarily. And so the debate's going to come down to do you believe junior year Matthew Stafford talk? Or. Is the senior year just more of a, of a reflection of who he is? Or is he in the middle? Sure. You know, that's <laughs> we probably don't focus on the middle enough. We probably want to go Josh Allen or Carson Wentz. Um, or Tannehill. So that's where things are at, I think, with, with Levis. Again, to me, the biggest pro is you combine the size, combine the arm, combine the NFL system. Arguably the best one on this list. The question mark, the avoidance of bad plays, was something he did not do a good job of. The one thing that I like to look at, 
when I'm evaluating or looking at quarterbacks when it comes draft time too is poise and the ability to sense pressure in the pocket. Mm -hmm. And both of those things are major red flags to me when it comes with Levis. And that is like something that concerns me a lot. Is that teachable? That's a good question. You know, I have skepticism if that is teachable. And that would be concerning to me. You know, the guy that we'll name last on this list, there's no issue with poise whatsoever. And to me, that trait, that poise accuracy trait, boy, it's such a that's that's the gold. That's gold to me. To me, it's just coaching an internal clock into the quarterback in terms of this instance being Will Levis. All right, well, was tra- that injury related? Was that offensive line related? I you mean, know, so many questions. W- with Levis, I'll never forget Frank Reich's answer, and we can move on to um, Anthony Richardson next. But I'll never forget Frank Reich's answer at the combine about Levis. It was almost like the first words out of Reich's mouth were all those. Uh, Excuses is the only word that's popping into my head. But basically, when you talk about Levis, you immediately go to the senior year and you talk about the poor O-line yeah, and the change in OC and the lack of weapons around him. And it's like, are those real or are those excuses? Mm-hmm. You know, And how valid are they? It's that's recency bias. That's a difficulty with Levis. Yeah, it's just recency bias. We're all, we're all suspect to it. But the next guy you already said, Anthony Richardson, uh, he's literally built in a lab. 6'4", 244, runs a sub 4'5", has a cannon of an arm. Um, when you look at traits, he's got it all. You said it right there. Um, you, you explained perfectly why those are the biggest pros with him. He's a you know video game created type player in, in, in many ways. Um, when I first saw him at the Combine, I thought the DNs aren't talking until Saturday or Sunday, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I thought the tight ends were yesterday. Like, I'm like, what? I'm like, is he playing for the Pacers tonight? Pacers need some front court. Now. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was just, I, I was left in a bit of awe, um, frankly, when, when when I first saw him. Um, and more so than anybody else on this list. Again, all of them bring it to a degree, but he brings the leg element to another level. Now, you can probably look at that one of two ways. Uh, one, obviously it's a major pro, and it's such a weapon to have at that position. Two, you know, does that bring more injury risk? Now, granted, his size is different than a Lamar Jackson, than a Michael Vick. You know, he, he he's a, just built as a different runner than those guys. I could probably go pro or con a little bit, Eddie, on the 13 starts. Mm-hmm. I would say most people would go con, but the pro would be, there's a whole lot to groom. There's a whole lot to mold. And maybe the bad habits aren't as abundant or the scar tissue isn't as immense as it might be for some other QBs that have just played more. I, I tend to think I'd rather see him have gone back to school uh, because then you're going to fight this internal battle. At, at, I mean, I thought it was about Shane Steichen today. Can you imagine if they draft Anthony Richardson? Every single week, Shane Steichen's going to get a, oh, what are you playing Richardson question. You got any, uh, you got any packages for him? Seriously. Or, or start him, obviously, full-time. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's literally going to be it every single week with him. So, again, I probably am a little bit in the con category on the lack of playing experience, but I, I can listen to some people that are like, hey, that just means those traits are not as you know firm in the cement. We got a little bit more to work with. What do you not like? You know, the, the 54% number is extremely low compared to others on the list. You know, Deontay Lee, I want to say I asked him the question of like, you know, how much of that is around the line of scrimmage? How much of that is more down the field? You know, that's always a question you get with the college QBs. It feels like Richardson was a little bit more down the field. But uh, that accuracy element to me is easily the biggest thing. And, you know, this probably gets back to what I was mentioning a few minutes ago, Eddie, about the the con aspect to the lack of starts. Yeah, I thought I read some there that read somewhere that 13 starts or less, I believe just Mitchell Trubisky and Mark Sanchez have gone in round one. Um, you know, I think it, when you talk about guys that maybe have had limited playing experience, Cam Newton certainly comes to mind. Trey Lance had more than 13 starts? Yeah, I think with, I think he had two years. Well, you know, North Dakota State goes on those playoff runs, so I feel like they just play more games than, you know, just the 13 number. Uh, obviously, they had the COVID year and we didn't play. But, you know, when I hear names like Lamar Jackson, names like Cam Newton thrown out with Anthony Richardson, I'm thinking those dudes were generational in their small-ish sample size in college. You know, Cam won a national title. Cam was a Heisman Trophy winner. Um, Lamar Jackson was a Heisman Trophy winner. 
Um, so that's where you look at him and say, this guy won six games in college. You know, how do you evaluate how he handles winning? How do you evaluate how he handles losing? You know, what? where is the adversity playing-wise and how to respond to that as a one-year starter? Those are the unknowns and those are the questions that you would have with, with Richardson. And I always go back to this quote from, from Ballard. He says this often about quarterbacks. At some point, you've got to deliver from the pocket. And I think that's his way of saying, like, you can create the player on Madden. And he said this well before Anthony Richardson. You can create that player, but at some point the leg element goes away or the leg element deteriorates or slows down. Well, when that happens, can you deliver from the pocket? That would be my question here. I'm just doing some quick math here. 167. 167? Where are you at there? Hold on here. Is that a rating? When you so no no no, I was just looking at the worst game of the year, which was the final game for Anthony Richardson, where he was nine for twenty-seven, I think, zero and sixteen, zero for sixteen, the second half against Florida State. I was just taking that game out and see what it did in terms of the the, the completion percentage, and I mean, it takes it from fifty-four to fifty-six. So I mean, still not ideal, but right. yeah. And again, I I know that there are you know some people out there that you know point to again a lot more down the field attempts, those sorts of things. It still is a very ugly looking number. Um, had some drops, certainly. You know, one thing I think you like about Richardson though is you know several Florida's bigger games this year. He he did rise to the occasion. Mm-hmm. So in the smaller sample size, you know he had some nice moments against some of their some of their better uh, better opponents. Yeah, he looked good against Utah. Had a a so-so game against Kentucky, and then you look at Georgia. He had a pretty solid game, two seventy-one. Yeah, and I throw LSU a little bit in there, certainly on the ground against LSU. But yeah, nine for one hundred and nine. Yeah, that, that, that'd be another one. Yeah, uh, quarterback number four, the guy that I have loved from day one that I said I would cut my pinky off for, <laughs> and and then some. C.J. Stroud, he's six three two fourteen out of the Ohio State University. You know, certainly one I think in our market, Eddie, we've probably seen the most of. I'll never forget watching the Northwestern game last year and thinking, Kevin, you are a genius for betting the under on this game, Northwestern and Ohio State, and just horrific weather. But then watching Stroud run in that game and literally look like a, you know, picture Josh Allen. I mean, remember when Buffalo just gets in those mold, mm-hmm. in those modes where they're just like, hey, we're, <laughs> we're going to pitch it to him, and this is Ron Colley football. We're just running it downhill with our quarterback all day. Stroud had a few of those plays, and I'm like, oh, man, you know, mm-hmm. he can kind of do this. And then obviously the Georgia game, he takes it to a whole nother level. I will say the biggest pro to him is that it's that it's the juicy phrase he used at the combine when he called himself a ball placement specialist. Mm-hmm. I mean, he is a confident dude, and when he said that, I smirked, and then I'm like, he's right. I mean, he, his accuracy has got to be at the top, if if not the top, uh, of anybody in this class, particularly when you talk about these five. And then what he did against Georgia. I mean, he showed you more on the biggest stage against the best opponent he played in college football. I mean, how can you ignore that? I mean, that was just incredible what mm-hmm. he did. It was surgical in that game. You know, because I watched him against Notre Dame. I'm thinking to myself, man, I, boy, yeah. You know, you watch my times in the Big Ten, and you're like, God, you want to see a little bit more out of him. Obviously, the Michigan games weren't you know great, great moments mm-hmm. for him, and then Georgia. That to me is is a bit of a weighted test. And again, I think you like how he carries himself. He's probably a guy that's been in the spotlight right up there with Bryce Young the most. So I, I don't think you get a whole lot of deer and headlights from him. Uh, but th- that's what you like. What you don't like about him, and Eddie, this is going to be a little nitpicky, which is a compliment to CJ Stroud. It's probably why I would label him as having the highest floor of any of these quarterbacks in this draft class. But I think it's a conversation that when you break down C.J. Stroud, you, you, you have to ask yourself, was it too easy for him? And why was it too easy for mm-hmm. him? Did he make it too easy? Because, again, that's a credit to him. Or did just Ohio State's superior talent week in and week out make it easy for him? Now, again, the Georgia game, that's much more of an even playing field. But when you watch the NFL draft in two weeks, you will hear so many more Ohio State offensive players taken before you hear Alabama offensive players. And he was blessed with a 
great group around him in a division that, and in a Big Ten that outside of a Michigan and maybe a Penn State, you're a three-touchdown favorite plus week in, week out. So I think those are the things you have to ask yourself. Again, didn't face a lot of on-field adversity, um, but you know, every time I walk away from the Stroud cons or questions, Eddie, I'm like, oh my God, like that's like a teacher writing a progress report for the valedictorian in class. You know, are, are we kind of nitpicking a little bit here? But those would be a couple of questions that, that, that I would have. And you brought up the Notre Dame game and the Michigan game and not looking his greatest, but like when you think about it, he didn't need to be great against Notre Dame. He just needed to make enough plays for them to win that game by not turning the football over uh, and just making sure they could eat clock and Keep the chains moving, and that's what he did. Yeah, no, I mean that's that's a great point. And thanks for rubbing that in. Um, and that he didn't need to be great because Notre Dame's offense couldn't do anything. Uh, but yes, you are correct on that, and I'm very glad when Ohio State returns to South Bend this year, it will not be C.J. Stroud, although they'll have a pretty good wideout. Uh, pretty good too. Uh, Mecca Buka and yeah, Marvin Harrison yeah, I'm Jr. Sure. I'm sure I will feel that in late September. Well, you never know. You got you got yourself a quarterback now. Yeah, we do. Sam Hartman, baby. Yeah. And we got some corners. Benjamin Morrison, a great freshman season. There Come on go. now. Let's there go. You go. There, we see. Time. there we go. We can hype it up a little bit. All right. Final prospect that Kevin is head over heels for. Uh, <laughs> and I'm sure he's in the same boat as me, cutting off more than a pinky. And that'd be for Bryce Young. 510, 204. It's the weight. That's the biggest question mark. It's from Alabama, but let's start with the positives. Poise, 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 poise. Uh, Dane Brugler, Eddie, the, the quote is so good. You know, the quarterback needs to be more of a creator than a passer. To me, he's the best creator of anybody in this class. I, I, I think he's got a point guard feel to him, and I'm sure you can make the size comments there. But you know what? I mean, he played on massive stages and frequently delivered, and frequently delivered in big moments. Um, again, I don't want to act like Alabama had, you know, Clay Jr. High skill around him, <laughs> but they had some, they didn't have normal around them. So, um, Again, I think those are things that you like about him. But, you know, I mentioned this back early on. I mean, hell, probably during the season. In some way, shape, or form, I think what you're looking for at quarterback is poise slash accuracy, comma, athleticism. And that's probably, if you want to boil it down to kind of two or three things, that's what you're looking for. And I think he's got that. Um, Obviously, the con is... For me, it's weight more than height. Agreed. Same here. Um, it, it, it's just the durability. And, you know, I think a point that's worth mentioning is it's not just necessarily 10 to 12 years of health. That's obviously a big part of it. But what has been a concern I've had about Lamar Jackson? It's when do injuries impact playing style? Mm-hmm. When does that limit you? With it may, okay, hey, Lamar's going to play this week. But you know what? We've got to take out. 70% of our run stuff for him because he's he's banged up. With Bryce's case, when you watch him, Eddie, the poise and always having the eyes down the field, Mahomes-like, is so special. I mean, we all saw Aaron the Texas Rogers game. Aaron Rodgers does the same thing. Rodgers yeah. does the same thing. I mean, watch that Texas game. Watch the game-winning pass to uh, Jameer Gibbs. I mean, it is special, special play that he makes in that game. If all of a sudden he's unable to, based off his size get away from as many sacks as he got away from in college now does his outside the box non x and o ability to play make does that you know take him from a 98 in that category to a 90 or whatever and how does that you know impact his evaluation so um anything else on bryce before we move on to deontay lee no i don't think so i think you hit the the, the nail with the hammer there, pretty good. So Deontay Lee, NFL draft analyst for The Athletic. This interview we did with him earlier this week. Before we get to Twitter questions, here is Deontay Lee. You know, we think we start our mornings relatively early. Our next guest, Deontay Lee, draft analyst for The Athletic. This is the second time we've had him on, and I am amazed that he continues to do this in a live setting because where he is right now, I believe it is 6.42 in the morning. Deontay, uh, I wish I had as much individual drive as you do on a Monday. Thank you for the time today. 
Oh, man, no problem at all. I, I would say it definitely helps being a father to a young kid. You know, my, my sleep schedule is as fickle as it can be to begin with, so it's no problem. I'm usually up around this time trying to get prepped for the day, so I'm glad to be on with you guys talking ball. Well, it means a lot that you've decided to do it with us. Um, this time of year, I almost think the draft takes become a bit nauseating to be totally honest with you so i know you're not maybe a huge social media guy but of all kind of the draft group think thoughts that you've seen maybe gain traction here as of late what's the one draft stereotype if you will that you're like where is that coming from um you know it's hard this class is really fascinating for that um because I do think that because there's been such a clear understanding, I think, on who the best guys are in this class. Like you said, the, the draft takes this year can kind of get stale. I think they definitely got stale a bit faster than you would see in other classes. I would say the one that bothers me the most is that I'm consistently seeing and, and hearing from people who have been in the media for longer than me that I'll speak to on the side that they have a legitimate expectation that Will Anderson is going to fall. And I, I just don't know what that's founded in. At, at any point in, in Will Anderson's college career, based on how he performed, you know, in the athletic testing, um, you know, what we hear about him and his work ethic. So that, that is the one thing I have a really hard time wrapping my head around is that there seems to be this almost kind of completely ex- expect, complete expectation that on draft day, Will Anderson is going to slip past what we might um, assume his draft value to be. Deontay, I'm going to ask you the question that I've asked several people, and I'm, I'm curious – the various answers actually there are four quarterbacks you know obviously in indianapolis we're looking at quarterback heavily right i mean there are four quarterbacks anthony richardson will levis bryce young cj stroud that are all thought to be possibly the first four picks or four of the top five or six picks do you believe that that is because this is a year where there are four quarterbacks who are so good that they are worthy of being top 10 picks or is it because there are four teams drafting in the top 10 that are in desperate need of quarterback? I think that the value gets inflated by the latter. I think that it's the need for quarterback at the top of the draft that I think motivates what we see in terms of the inflation or the expectation that these guys are all going to go top four or top five or whatever the case may be. So I would say it has a lot it has a lot more to do with the teams than I think the players. That's not to say that I don't believe that any of the players could be top 15, top 10 picks in their own right. But when you're looking at a draft board that happens to have a bunch of teams in the top 10 and we already saw a trade to number one overall for a team that we know needs a quarterback, that I think speaks to the way that teams move with their particular franchise needs more than it is how we're evaluating the players. And Deontay Lee is with us, NFL draft analyst for The Athletic. He's here on the Payless Liquors hotline. You mentioned Will Anderson earlier, and let's just like write out this hypothetical a little bit. Let's say a team trades up to Arizona uh, and, and takes a quarterback. Let's say it's Anthony Richardson, and the Colts are sitting there at four, and it's Will Levis and Will Anderson both on the board. If you're Chris Ballard, you go Anderson or you go Levis? It's rough. It's rough for me because now we're having a conversation about how you want to build your franchise, right? And I think that kind of um, layered in that is what is the best way to get your franchise back to contention? Is it to get the quarterback that you believe can be a star and then build everything around him or try to have the best roster possible to drop a quarterback into? Um, so I think for Indy and where their roster is at or for where I think that their franchise is looking at, I would probably go Levis because it's been such a headache on the carousel for veteran quarterbacks and striking out with those guys because of age or because of quality of play or a combination of both. I, I know if I were Chris Ballard, I would have the exact same mentality that he's had this offseason, which is that I just want to have a young guy here that's cost-controlled for four to five years, if not longer, We'll try to develop this thing around them, and we've got a young OC to develop with them as well, or a young head coach that was an offensive coordinator to develop with them as well. That would be the way I'd be looking at it. Okay, and then if we want to, I guess, go to, all right, what if Levis and Richardson are both on the board? You know, I don't know if you think this way, but it seems like you know maybe there's a tier of Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud, and then the next tier is Levis and Richardson. The question I was throwing out late last week was, I think you got to find out what flaws the guys have and then ask yourself, are those flaws teachable? 
Right. Would you say Levis's flaws are more teachable, or would you say Richardson's flaws are more teachable? Um, I would say Richardson because I, I think that what you're trying to fix, quote-unquote, with Richardson is really just a matter of um, slowing his process down with moving in the pocket and, and preparing himself to throw the ball. You know, I, I think that with Levis, you know, when you look at how he manages the pocket and the amount of contact that he's taken over the last couple of years, particularly last year when he was already hurt, and you could tell that the offense was asking him not to run as much to escape from pressure, the fact that he had a tough time finding answers for himself within that offense is really concerning for me. I don't think those same concerns exist when you're talking about, you know, six four two thirty. you know, um, uh, Anthony Richardson. And that's not to say that Will Levis is small or weak, but I think that you see the ways in which they handle pressure, they handle the bodies that are next to them, how they work their way around the pocket. I, I would be much more comfortable trying to, quote-unquote, fix the issues that you see in Richardson than hoping that you get 2021 Will Levis for the entirety of his pro career. You have two GMs that are looking at this draft, Deontay Lee. And each of them has a very specific need of player, you know, position. Uh, the one that's going to be the happiest because this draft is absolutely loaded at his position of need is the guy that is looking for what position, and the guy that is the most screwed because this one just doesn't offer a lot for him is the guy looking for what position. Ooh, I would say I would say there's a two way tie for the most loaded position in this class. I would say it's tight end and corner. So if you're in need of a tight end that can work those intermediate areas, that can threaten defenses up the seam, you know, that you can kind of build into being, you know, a good inline blocker and maybe a guy you can flex out or get in one-on-one coverage the way that we've seen the Chiefs do with Travis Kelsey. Um, I think that this is a good class for that. And I think that there is a high potential that we end up with three to four franchise number one level corners out of this class too. I think that, if you're looking for interior offensive linemen that can maybe develop in the perennial all-pros or pro bowl talents, I think that this is going to be a difficult draft for that, and this is maybe the lightest linebacker class I've ever evaluated um, you know, in my time working in the media. So I would say interior offensive line and linebacker, if you're looking for those guys to fix the issues that you have with their franchise, this is not the year to solve it in the draft. Well, some good and bad there for the Colts. The Colts certainly have a need at corner, massive need at corner. That second-round pick, in my opinion, could come in here and and start from day one. Deontay, I want to go back to Anthony Richardson for a second. And again, Anthony Richard, <laughs> Deontay Lee is with us here on the uh, Payless Slickers Hotline, covers the NFL Draft for the Athletic. You know, you see Anthony Richardson's uh, accuracy number from last year. The completion percentage is, is ugly. But, you know, you probably, or we probably should, and I raised my hand, I probably should put some context around that number. It's like a 54% completion percentage. But when you dive into like drops, catchable balls, there's a lot of people out there that say it's a little bit num- better for Anthony Richardson than it looks on paper with that completion percentage. What have you, have you observed from Anthony Richardson when it comes to the accuracy? Um, I think the first thing you have to ask when you're looking at completion percentage is what kind of throws he's being asked to make um, when he's starting, you know, in his starts. I think that really if you have questions of him, it's going to be is what we saw in a limited amount of film really where he stands right now or is this something that was progressing, you know, we just didn't get enough time to see it through the way that you see a guy who's a C.J. Stroud or a Bryce Young who gets two, three years as a starter to really kind of iron out the kinks in their game. I think with Richardson, A, they were trying to throw the ball deeper. He was looking to throw the ball deep. They were a much more vertical offense, and you see some of these like RPO-heavy offenses over the last half decade to decade in the, uh, in the college football game. So that's a starter. You're already talking about higher variance on completions, which has an effect on it. Um, number two, I would say in terms of skill position talent, if we're comparing Ohio State, which maybe has had like six or seven first-rounders, on the roster at a given time playing wide receiver and tight end over the last couple of years and, and offensive line. And you look at Alabama, we know the machine that they've been with the receivers that they put in the NFL um, and what we usually expect of their offensive line over the years this past year notwithstanding. And then you look at what Florida's dealing with. I mean, if you even if you had given Anthony Richardson, I think the supporting cast that Will Levis had in 2021 – uh, with uh, with Wondell Robinson, with having um, Liam Cohen and a better you know veteran offensive line, I, and I think that his offensive line at Florida was fine. I just think that the supporting cast they were 
is something that has to be contextualized in his evaluation. Um, and with the Colts, I think that that's particularly interesting given Shane Steichen's time with Jalen Hurts, you know, because really, it really wasn't all that different when you're looking at Jalen Hurts um, as a quarterback, you know, coming from Alabama and Oklahoma. He was most comfortable throwing the ball vertically, wasn't the greatest in the intermediate areas, or working in the middle of the field, had decent pocket feel, but maybe left it a little bit early. Um, but you figure that if you use his legs properly, you can buy him some time to develop. And, that, and that's what we saw in 2022. So if you're an Indian, you got Shane Steichen in there. The question Ballard should be asking is, do you see Jalen Hurts in Anthony Richardson? And if so, is that something that you're comfortable doing again? Does Will Levis have mobility? Uh, I mean, you know, I know that his consistency probably is another one that, that that's been brought into play. But what is he like outside the pocket? When he was healthy in 2021, he's as good an athlete, you know, in terms of like linear speed and acceleration as there is in this class. You know, the guy can run. I think that dealing with the toe and the foot injuries that he had for uh, for last year at Kentucky, like I said, that offense was asking him to stand in the pocket and not run as much. There wasn't as much bootlegging and getting him outside, you know, making these off-platform throws or getting him away from pressure as there was the year before. But he can run, you know, so if he's 100% good to go, well, I think everybody kind of saw the pictures that he put up on Instagram or what have you about how he's been working out to get himself back in shape. You know, I, I don't know if I have takes on how Jack the quarterback is, is or isn't supposed to be to be successful as a pro, but if he's in great shape and you can trust that and, you know, you're in an offense like Indies where you're going to allow this guy to take off you know, with Shane Steichen when it's necessary or design runs, if he can handle it. I think that Levis, the the healthiest and best version of Levis can run just as well as anybody in this class. I would say outside of Anthony Richardson, just given what we know of his top-end speed. Deontay, you, you said you have a boy or a girl? I have a boy. Okay. If I were to tell you your boy is going to sleep through the night for the rest of his childhood – but uh-huh. in order for that to be the case, you have to bet on one player in this draft being a Hall of Famer on offense and one player in this draft being a Hall of Famer on defense. Your answers to the offense and your answer to the defense. Defense is easy. That's Will Anderson. I'll bet my peaceful nights on Will Anderson 100% <laughs> of the time. Um, offense, that's interesting because there's not like a – superior talent at wide receiver where it's like, hey, this guy can step in like a Garrett Wilson or Chris Olave and be a thousand-yard guy from right out the gate and rack up maybe enough Pro Bowls and all pros to where they can be in the conversation throughout their career. It doesn't sound like we have that on the O-line either, really. Not really. I mean, you think about you know the trajectory for a guy like Paris Johnson and it's like, okay, I've seen guys that are 6'6 with nearly 7-foot arms and they're huge and athletic. I've seen that turn into all pro guys, but they usually walk into the NFL a little bit more refined from a footwork perspective, you know, to turn into that guy. Peter Skaronsky is really, really clean in terms of his feet and everything, but he is not the physical marvel that some of the other tackles and offensive linemen we expect to become all of fame talents usually are. And that is a legitimate holdup for me, regardless of how good he was at Northwestern. Um, so if I had to bank it on one guy, God, that is rough. I would have to say I, I maybe I'd bank it on B. John Robinson. Hmm. I think that I think, you know, if we're talking about just skills and athleticism, he is still, I think, the best non quarterback offensive player in this class, regardless of how we feel about running back value. But he's somebody who can legitimately pass protect. Maybe not to the level of Ezekiel Elliott in his athletic prime, but not far off. So he's somebody that you don't have to take off the field on third down. We know what he can do in terms of being an electric athlete, you know, in one-on-one tackle scenarios and making guys miss. So I'm very comfortable with that. He can catch the ball out of the backfield as well. And I think the beautiful thing for that, you know, if you're talking about a running back or skill position player making the Hall of Fame, it's so situation dependent. And are you going to be getting the best out of them? And because it's looking like he might be late teens to early 20s, he might land in a place that's like a Dallas. He might land in Buffalo. He could land in Cincinnati. You know, he can land in Detroit, which has this monstrous offensive line and an offense that's really built to feature a guy like Bijan Robinson is something that they've been looking for, you know, in the combination of DeAndre Swift and, and Jamal Williams last year anyways. So there's, I think there's a lot of opportunity actually this year 
for all of the hemming and hawing that's been done on running back value, where he might land in that late first round. And it's actually at a team where we look back and was like, I think that maybe we should have taken him in the top 12 and for no other reason than we just made an offense unfairly loaded, you know, because of what they added at running back. So if I had to bank it on one guy, I'd rather put it on Bijan than anyone else. Deontay, great stuff, man. We got to run, get some rest, and uh, appreciate the insight. Um, and I appreciate you guys. Back to sleep I go. <laughs> all right, Eddie. That- Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. That was Deontay Lee. Man lives in San Diego and joined us live at 6.45 local time. Isn't that wild? <laughs> That's commitment right there. It's the second time we've had him on, and I feel like an, uh, more than an ounce of guilt that we ask him, but I think he's so good. How much dirt do you have on him in order for to make that to happen? I know. Or Jake. I don't I don't know which one of you has the, has the dirt on him. You'd think I'd have some empathy, too, when he's saying, yeah, my, uh, my son you know, wakes me up at this hour. I'm like, well, you and I can cheers... You know, three time zones away to that. But hope you guys enjoyed that. I think we're going to have Dane Brugler uh, on next week. So we will continue this trend that we've had. Uh, Eddie, if you're ready, let's get into Twitter questions. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Erwin is up first. Hi, Kevin. Hello from Melbourne, Australia. Look at that. Did I sense a little? Was that a little Australian accent from Eddie Garrison? I See. <laughs> Do you think Irwin is the real name, too? That would be fantastic if it is. It's got to be. But uh, Olivia, my girlfriend, she's a she loves Australians. Okay. Uh, and she wants to go there someday. And it always, whenever she says, whenever she says it, it always down. I say it every time she ever says she she pronounces it the right way. I pronounce it the American way of Australia. Uh, anyway, uh, Irwin says he's a big fan of the pod that he hasn't missed an episode since 2019. Irwin, man, if I ever make it down under, you and me drink uh, going to uh, get a blooming onion. There we go. Uh, with Marvin Harrison Jr. being eligible for next year's draft, it would be nice for the NFL to adopt the American or Aussie rules football uh, father-son rule. This allows a team to have the choice to draft the son of a player who has played 100 games for your club. 100 games is the equivalent of about five seasons. The Colts would be guaranteed to get Marvin Harrison Jr. <laughs> How good would that be? One can only dream. Keep up the great work. And I love this. Love I, it. Can we adopt it like tomorrow? <laughs> What a great rule. I mean, hell, I know Edrin's got a son named Jizzle playing in a, in a basketball. I think he's going to Cincinnati or somewhere. But, yeah, this sounds like a hell of a rule, right? Um, when's the when, when do you think the NFL will play in Australia? You know, the next decade we got a game? In, oh, I was going to say Melbourne? next three years, guaranteed. With the way they're moving, I would say Germany sooner this than year, later. Right? Yeah. In Germany. Well, they played in Germany last year. Oh, well, yeah. What a wild rule. Um, just a wild rule. Yeah, I mean Harrison Jr. You know, we, it, it's just going to be very interesting to see where he falls next year and how the order looks. Mm-hmm. You know, would Chicago have traded out of one if Marvin Harrison had been in this year's draft? Maybe not. Um, you know, it's going to be really, really interesting. But special talent, and you watch him, and the first thing that always stands out to me is just his size. You know, his dad was not. Like that, you know, his dad was just so slender, and his body control is amazing. And um, but yeah, uh, you know, big reason why I've said, you know, worry that, and maybe I'm thinking way too much into this, Eddie. But like, let's say you draft Anthony Richardson. Yep. You start Gardner Minshew for the whole year. I think the Colts would win too many games to draft in the top five. I would agree. So now all of a sudden you've taken yourself out of Caleb Williams. Marvin Harrison Jr. Drake and Drake, May. you know, yeah. it's like obviously there's gonna be other prospects that emerge, but I don't know, just something that, that I've thought about. Yeah, it's a nice food for thought there. Uh, and by the way, I tried to avoid the Australian accent because I didn't want to make myself look like Jake Query trying to do the British accent. Yeah, I, you know, I just have too much Indiana twang to any accent that I throw out there, so I just I decided to just kind of bite my lower lip and move on. Nice, smart idea. 
Uh, Matt's question is up next, and he says that we know Chris Ballard is worried about attaching his reputation to a young quarterback for the sake of his job security. However, what are your thoughts on his future with the Colts if he passes on a young quarterback and they flash on another team? I'd assume the only way Ballard can talk Jim Ursay out of it uh, out of taking a rookie quarterback this year would be by saying he does not believe they can play at the NFL level. But what if, for example, Anthony Richardson shows signs of being special on the Raiders after the Colts pass? What do you think his clock would look like? Yeah, you know, I I think pretty simply, Bauer gets fired or keeps his job and whatever happens with this quarterback. Yeah, I, I don't think you're in a position where you get multiple cracks at I, I don't know if Anthony Richardson bombed in year one and you're back there drafting Caleb Williams. I, I just can't see that happening. Um, I mean, I think you got to go back to the owners' meetings comments we talked about a few weeks ago, Eddie. I mean, Jim Irsay's public comments about Chris Ballard have gone from what is the size of his gold jacket to much more realistic, much more honest. You can't have the embarrassment level of that season. And I've said this before, it's not just the tangible results. I mean, those are not pretty. Um, But outside of that, the trajectory right now is going down. Mm -hmm. It's not going up. You know, I'm asking DeForest Buckner questions today, like, hey man, Stephon Gilmore got traded, you're probably going to draft a rookie QB. Like, I know you hate the word rebuild, but on paper, there's a lot of stuff that would say that you're Rebuilding, like that's not ideal for a GM going into year seven there. Um, but again, simply, I think whatever happens with this quarterback, I, I, you know, I guess it would add salt to the wounds if you know uh, another team that you passed on a QB flourish somewhere else. But to me, it's whatever QB decision you make. If it works, you keep your job. If it doesn't, you're unemployed. Yeah, and I think the least for Ballard is. Two to three years right now? Yeah. Again, I don't want to act like he's on the hot seat for 2023 because you you obviously want him and Shane to try and build something a little bit here for multiple years. But uh, yeah, after two or three years, you can have a very clear picture on what your quarterback looks like. Jason. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Curious to know how much premium we put on place on the quarterback at the top of the draft. What is the lowest level of current NFL starters you would take at number four? Dak, Carr, Cousins, Tua, etc. Boy, that's a really good way to look at it. Yeah, I don't know if I've ever looked at it like that. Have you? No. Yeah, that's that's a pretty unique way. I I would say Dak for sure. I I would take Dak. Um and I think there's going to be a level of you, if that quarterback can be that, but also can I trust in Shane Steichen's development to maybe tap into a little bit more mm-hmm. than that, or certainly create an offense around him to where uh, maybe you are getting to um, a different level. And this gets back to the whole, like, what should the thought process be at quarterback? You know, should you look at the AFC right now and say, this is unlike anything I've seen it, so you take Richardson because that's the biggest swing? Mm-hmm. Or should it be again just trying to get to a little bit of a higher floor to try and win the AFC South and you know baby steps your way back into relevance around the NFL? It's a really really good way to look at it. I think something that's worth mentioning and we fall into this trap a little bit too much, Eddie. And, and I, honestly, you know, I I, I I hear this from Jake, my my co-host, a lot of there's not a Burrow, there's not a Trevor Lawrence, there's not Andrew Luck in this draft. You know, by all accounts, that's accurate. Um, you know, you look at the AFC playoffs last year. I mean, honestly, look at the NFC especially. I bet if you looked at the division winners from last year, the only ones that had a quarterback-led team drafted in the top five was probably Jacksonville and Cincinnati. You know, Josh Allen, obviously not. Mahomes, not. Jalen Hurts, not. Kirk Cousins, not. You know, even if you take Brock Purdy out, I, I, Garoppolo probably started more, get, probably played more snaps than Purdy in mm-hmm. the regular season. Garoppolo, no. Gino, no. Um, you know, Gino, no. So, it, I guess it's worth mentioning that, like, okay, 
not every draft class has the transcendent can't miss guy that everyone talks about in January, February, March, and April. But that doesn't mean that there's not that guy at some point in this draft to where you can get there eventually down the road. So just because there's not that crystal clear guy at number one, and I mean, watch Joe Burrow and Trevor Lawrence in college, duh. Just because we haven't seen that or we didn't see that out of Mahomes, we didn't see that out of Josh Allen, we didn't see that out of even like a Justin Herbert, it doesn't mean that all of a sudden that guy can't be really darn good for you. Did you say top five? Top five, yeah. Uh, Throw in Tua there. He's a top five. Yeah, I guess division winners. Oh, you did say that. Who's the team I'm missing in the NFC that that, that won a division? Uh, You had Philly, you had Minnesota. (laughs) Tampa Bay. Tampa. Gosh. That's easy to forget. Yeah, that is easy to forget. Yeah, they really should have thought about relegating the NFC and AFC South for a year. <laughs> no kidding. Well, the AFC South, besides Jacksonville, I thought they deserved it. Yeah, they got highlight. Uh, Travis, question is up next. How is the Lamar acquisition any different than a potential Shaquille Leonard trade. They each have more value to their present organization than to any other team, especially with their injuries. We would have to want Lamar more than his own team as we have to pay him more than the Ravens and then give up picks. And yet Ravens built roster playbook around him. Um, If they're letting him walk, then that should give us pause. They know something we don't or think his play is unsustainable. It's interesting, Travis. Um, you know, again, I don't think the injury situations are apples to apples. You know, it's lower body for Jackson, but it's nothing to the degree of the complexity that I think Leonard's gone through. I mean, mm-hmm. It's been a very difficult injury to diagnose, and obviously correct. He's had multiple back surgeries in a very short span. Um, you know, sustaining that shelf life, that's kind of the biggest phrase I come back to with Lamar, and I guess Jackson would be in the same case. Um I just think, hey, I don't know if Travis is asking this exactly, so Eddie, feel free to interject if you feel like I'm kind of misreading it. I just think it's easier for someone to absorb a Jackson trade, not contractually, but medically, than it would be the Leonard situation. 100% agree with you there. Um, it, You know, Baltimore wants him back, but there also is like a little bit of like, what do they know? You know, like they obviously know something that they haven't given him what you think is a decently deserved contract. It's the same coach in place. It's pretty much the same regime in place. Yeah. It's not like they've turned that over. New OC, and that's about it. Yeah, and it, yeah, and from a regime standpoint, you know, going more towards you know GM and and and, and that aspect to it. Eric Dacosta obviously had a big role and has had a big role for for years in that organization. So. Um, I don't know. I think the Carson Wentz scar tissue is alive for me. And by that, I mean the Eagles knew. The Eagles told the rest of the NFL what what we we continue to find out about Carson Wentz. Yeah. The Eagles knew. They knew it when they drafted Hurts, and they sure as hell knew it when they traded Carson Wentz to the Colts. Well, I think drafting Hurts is what broke him you more than anything statement. else. Yeah, that's, that's fair. And the fact that I think... He, I think I think it was um oh what is Howie Long's son named Chris Long? Chris, yes. Chris Long said on I think it I think it was um I was thinking Howie Roseman at first. I'm like, wait a minute, that's not that's <laughs> Taylor Lewan's podcast that the Eagles rushed back Carson Wentz from the ACL injury and he wasn't a hundred percent like In that twenty eighteen mentally ready, yeah. Mentally ready to play yet, and I think that played a role into his deterior or not deterior but his downward play that's interesting i also think probably something that stands out to me about Wentz, and it's why you heard me talk about hooker transferring up levis transferring up again you'd like to see some adversity for these guys in college mm-hmm. Wentz probably had little of that i mean it's North yeah. Dakota state so when you're hit with the first dose of welcome to the NFL life, whether it's your play or the injury, that can be really hard to overcome from. And, you know, I think we all can say that Fargo is not Philadelphia. So, you know, that probably plays into it as well. 
After six years, Colts general manager Chris Ballard record is seven games under 500. He said he'd look at everything to try to improve. Have you seen any evidence that he's changed anything in his approach? And this is from JJ. Yeah, to be honest with you, I haven't seen much. Um, now, I wasn't expecting a full rebuild. I mean, hell, the guy was coming back. It's not like he's going to tear down everything that he's built. You know, you, you yeah. can see rebuilds in other places like he did here when he took over for, for, for Ryan Grigson. But no, Eddie, to be honest with you, I don't think any of the me, you know, I, going for a kicker, I guess, is a little bit different. I mean, the Ebucom deal, I mean, that's not like that shocking to me. Um, Isaiah McKenzie, yeah, nothing on the O line. I mean, I guess that's a little surprising considering. Yeah, how, he was how, very openly he's about. wired. Yeah, that and how he said, uh, I want to create competition. I got to yeah. do better at that. And there are a still, there's still a couple veteran O linemen out there, but. Um, I would say going off a month of evidence because again, that's all we have. We'll see how the draft goes, and we'll you know we'll see if there's anything else. I know it's not a typical time for a you know blockbuster moves to happen, but we'll see how the rest of the offseason unfolds. But as of right now, it's pretty same old, same old for me. Was the Rodney McLeod signing last year prior to or after the draft? Ooh, it's a good question. Um, look that up. Gosh, all the safety signings run together for me. I'm like, well, Mike Mitchell was in season. Mike Adams was in June. Um, for some reason, I'm going to say it was prior. But I could be wrong. Um, April 14th. Okay, so just prior? Yeah. You know, when you think about the Nick Cross thing, it was one of those where, hey, he's dropping. He's too good to pass up. So, yeah. you know, they, they obviously felt good about their safety depth chart and then made that move. The reason why I was asking because I was trying to think of the signings that Chris Ballard has made post-NFL draft because it seems like after that second week, and even, even into that third week really, it kind of really dies down across the entire NFL. And you see guys like Justin Houston, for example, uh, from a few years ago, they hold out until the draft happens to see if they're valued. after the draft? What'd you say? He was after the draft? Well, that was after his stint in Indy. Got it, got it. Going to Baltimore. After, uh, yeah, before after Eric his, Fisher? Yeah. Would have Eric, fallen into that group? Yeah, Eric Fisher, another one. See, I was new. I was forgetting somebody. But it seems like there's always a signing or two from right. them. And they end up being a, a, a valuable piece of what, uh, either offensive or defensive, uh, for Chris Ballard. Yeah. I. So I guess that's where I'm a little bit pausing right now. But so far... Uh, Casey's Twitter question is next. The Colts take a quarterback this draft, and he has a typical rookie season full of struggles, but he shows some potential. If they end up with a top two pick next year, do they take Drake May, Caleb Williams, or Marvin Harrison Jr.? Oh, boy. Boy, it's a great question. Um, can Can I say what Ballard would do? Sure. Trade back. (laughs) <laughs> you know, you know, you know. Someone's going to give the the kitchen sink and the sure. fridge and uh, the dishwasher just to get one of those two quarterbacks of Williams or May if they're still there. Casey, I'm going to cop out a little bit. You know, I I need to see how it plays out. I mean, you imagine Peyton Manning's rookie year in 2022, three and 13, leads the league in interceptions. That's a rookie record for interceptions that still stands today. You know, you imagine the buzz and bailing on him mm. with the top five pick the next year. Mm. Um, so it, it, yeah, so you, you got to see how it plays out. Um, and it's, it is one year. I think it would depend on who the quarterback is, obviously how much that quarterback played as a rookie. Um, I, I'd probably be willing to be patient and, and draft Harrison, but again, I would need to see it play out. And Caleb Williams is interesting. Again, he's such an escape artist. How much of that is going to definitely translate to the next level? He's so creative, too. And you talk about eyes down the field. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've got nightmares about him against Notre Dame. <laughs> uh, is this from Jimmy Cook? I don't think this is our Jimmy Cook, no. no. But nonetheless, we love all Jay Cooks. I know. Uh, Jay Cook, you are up next. Your question made the pod this week. Uh, Kevin, for senior NFL staffs, is there no non-compete clauses in contracts? Did Frank go over a sing like a bird? Or is it more subtle? Thanks for all you do. I patiently wait all week for my number one podcast. Oh, thank you, Jay Cook. I appreciate that. I'm sorry we're coming a little bit later than we usually do. This will probably be, well, the draft will throw some things off, but this will probably be where we have the pod next Wednesday, just after 
Colts media availability on these offseason program days. I mean, I'm sure there's some, you know, I, I assume by non-compete means more of an NDA clause with that. I, I would think like, but I mean, hell, it's just stay, say stuff behind a closed door <laughs> and you're good. You know, um, I think one thing, Eddie, draft related, Colts intel related. Obviously, Frank's intel would be based on what? His discussions with Chris Ballard. Yeah. I'll be fully transparent with everybody right now, sitting here on, on April 12th. I don't have some strong conviction on what the Colts are going to do. Me either. You know, and I frankly don't have a hugely strong conviction on what I would do. And I know that's not great podcast theater. I know it's not great radio theater. Eddie, you, I don't know how much our listeners listen to the morning show, but obviously when the Pacers got around to the NBA draft, I was literally jumping up and down on tables day in and day out for Benedict Matherin. Mm -hmm. Like, I wanted him like no other. I don't have that same feeling towards these quarterbacks. And again, I don't know where the Colts are leaning. Do you have that feeling with any player in the top four, top five? Yeah, I would probably stand up big time for for Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud um, in in that order. Um, You know, maybe not to the full-on Matherin level where, you know, I was ready to take my shirt off, but... I was about to ask you where we at to take the (laughs) shirt off level. Is that the meter? Yeah, I guess so. Well, I guess we have to extend that now because now you've thrown out the idea... Uh, what was it for Tiger? Well, Tiger, I would have got a a, a Tiger Speedo. Would have there it is. On there. there we go. Um, thankfully for all involved, that that purchase w- was not made. Clearly, um, I'm sure Maddie is extremely thankful. Mm-hmm, yes, very. <laughs> uh, I I bring up all of this to say, whenever you hear people talk about the Colts draft interest, how much of that is just based off conversations we've had we've heard months ago? How much of that is based off of Jim Irsay? Comments. How much of that is based off of Chris Ballard comments? Yeah. You know, stuff you might have gathered in the fall. What we're not factoring in? The newest guy in the building. Mm -hmm. Shane Steichen's been on the job for two months. And Shane Steichen, that dude just looks like a steel trap. I mean, he's not going to say anything. And I think he does and should have a big part in this decision process. It's like a duck on the water. So, yeah, that's a good way to describe it. So, again, I bring that up to say... When you hear about all this, hey, Colts this, Colts that, I'm like, are we not factoring in Shane? Because in my opinion, he might have 50% of the say. And he should. And, and that's the one kind of outlier in all these predictions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If it's me, I, I got to let my head coach have a word. He's got to have a say. Shane likes Levis. Ballard likes Richardson. Ty goes to Ursay. <laughs> oh. Oof. You were cringing there. Um, I, I, I don't know where that would fall. Let's wrap there, Eddie, okay? Okay. We'll get to the other questions on future pods. Um, again, we'll come back next Wednesday. I know you want you had a great idea of kind of getting into some uh, non-quarterback-related needs, mm-hmm. if I'm onto something mm-hmm. there. I think it's also good to kind of get into some scenarios. Yep. You know, what do you do when you play out these scenarios, A, B, C? How do you weigh those scenarios? Um. I know it's a fun game that we can play uh, coming up here with the draft two weeks away. Everybody enjoy this weather if you're here in the local Indy area. It'll be glorious for a couple of days, a couple of more days. It's going to snow again. Is that what I saw? <laughs> oh, stop that. You don't mean that. I don't? No. He's Eddie Garrison. I'm Kevin Bowen. Everybody have a great rest of the week. Thanks for listening to Kevin's Corner.